Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, only until Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of God make a little space here if that's okay. How are we doing this morning, church? Whew! I love it, love it, love it, love it. So we have, for any uh, guests here this morning, welcome. My name's Murray. I'm one of the pastors here at the centre. And the last few weeks we've been going through a series called Pruning the Branches. And each week we've been pruning things like sin, idolatry, time. I feel like there was another one. That's okay. Uh, and today we are going through Pruning Expectations. So I want to share um, this morning a little game with you that I used to play. So when I uh, used to work at a cafe in Narrenburn, my mate Max and I had this game uh, where essentially he was a Christian and I was a Christian, so we kind of spoke a common language. And the game was called Spot the Christian, okay? It was a long-running game, okay? So the scoreboard like kept going over years and years and years, or two years that we both worked there anyway. Essentially, the way the game worked, it's very, very simple, Someone sits down, okay, and you go up and chat to them. And if you suspect that they're a Christian, you have to, in the middle of the conversation, say, hey, are you a Christian? And if they say yes, you get a point. But if they said no, then you lose a point. And that's the whole game, right? Now, the thing about this game is I don't mean to brag, but I was the reigning champion, okay? Like, I was really, really good at this game. We used to joke that it was almost like my spiritual gift, okay? Like, maybe back in, like, early Christianity when there was persecution, like, people needed to know who was Christian, you know, spotting those Christians so they could go underground and worship together. It was... Yeah, I was really good at it. So what I want to do is I want to show you guys how to play this game this morning. And Matt, could I actually get you up on the drums? Because I'll need you in a second. Is that okay? So what I want you to do is we're going to do an imaginative exercise. I'll let you know when we need you, but if you could be up there ready. I want everyone to close their eyes right now. Everyone online, everyone listening, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery, close your eyes. 
And I want you guys to imagine, I'm going to describe three people to you one by one. And once we're finished, I want you to tell me who's a Christian and who's not. So one point for a correct spot, minus one for an incorrect spot. So person number one, he lives in Mount Druitt, currently lives in Housing Commission. He works Sundays, smokes a pack a day. He's divorced, doesn't really see his kids anymore, bets on the horses and votes Labor. So just keep that in your head. All right, person number two. So just make up your mind, person number one. Person number two, she lives in Newtown. She's a vegan. She has a throat tattoo. Most of her friends are LGBT+. She runs a feminist blog. She doesn't shave her armpits. Goes to the pub every other and votes for the Greens. All right, so keep our eyes closed. Is that person a Christian? All right, person number three. He lives in the hills. He's married with 2.5 kids, has a golden retriever named Banjo, prays every day, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, pretty much doesn't swear. He volunteers and he votes liberal. All right, so we've got to keep in our mind which of those. All right, we can all open our eyes. Okay, so person number one, Matt, drum roll, please. Are they a Christian? They are a Christian. All right. Who's on one point? Who's on one point? All right, cool. Person number two, Matt, drum roll, please. Are they a Christian? They are a Christian. Who's on two points? Who's on two points? All right, Matt, drum roll number three. Are they a Christian? They're not a Christian. They're Muslim. All right, who got two points? Who got two points? Craig got two points. All right, he knew. He knew. Craig obviously knows me. Thank you, Matty. Let's give it up for Matty. Round of applause for Matt. So what do we expect a Christian to look like? What do we actually expect a Christian to look like? See, I think these assumptions that we make are are sort of indicative of a bigger problem because we have these expectations which are really biases and, and misconceptions of what people need to look like for them to be worthy of Jesus's love, to be worthy of our love, to be worthy of community. And we're very happy to to boast that we worship a God who, you know, ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. But I think we often fail to ask ourselves, who are those sinners and tax collectors today? Because tax collectors today, it's like, yeah, I don't don't know. They're a tax collector. I mean, I don't know. An accountant. Maybe, maybe Brian, are you a tax collector? I don't know. (laughs) We need to be thinking, who are these people today? Because no one is actually unwelcome to sit at the table of Jesus. Because no one is actually worthy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, haven't they? But what happens is we latch onto shallow expectations of these cookie-cutter Christians that we've sort of made up in our heads and then decide with punitive judgment who is worthy and who is not to be in church on a Sunday, to be part of a community. And you, like some of you might be thinking, well, hold on, like it is our job to judge, right? Like it's our job to judge. It's our job to cast stones. It's our job to condemn, right? Like this is the job that Jesus appointed us. Well, James doesn't seem to think so. In James 4.12, he says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Romans 14, 10 to 14, Paul writes, You then. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. Not on God's judgment seat, but before God's judgment seat. 
It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So the point of what I'm trying to say today isn't just to, you know, make us all feel real bad, right? That's not the point. I think it's because there's, there's a really important thing to address here. And this is what Paul continues in Romans 14 when he's saying, don't judge anyone. Because more importantly, he says in verse 13, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person is unclean. So it's not our job to judge, but Jesus's. And because when we start judging right? We're just this punitive judgment. We're just freely judging people and then putting these barriers and stumbling blocks in place. We're actually shutting the door of heaven in their faces. We're stopping people from being able to enter the kingdom of God. We're saying, sorry, the table's full. You can't sit with us at Jesus's table. So if it's not our job to judge as Christians, what is our job then? Well, I would say, in short, it's to bring heaven to earth, right? That's our job, to bring heaven to earth. And how do we do that? Well, when Jesus was on earth back in the first century, there were, there were some different religious groups who have different strategies, very different strategies comparatively, to bring heaven to earth. Okay, so, so one way that we can bring heaven to earth is to live militaristic lives, conforming people through fear and violence, I mean, we've, we've done that as the greater church through crusades and the Spanish Inquisition. Like, turns out it can be quite an effective strategy in the short term. It's not honouring to God, but it can be an effective way to get people to believe what we believe, to make people look and sound and do the way we do. We could maybe live influential lives, lobbying and electing Christian politicians, or we could live secluded lives, retreating into our own community and avoiding the world or ultimately, we could, we could live holy lives, living in but not of the world. I mean, I, I ask you guys today, which of those four do you think best describes the Christian lifestyle that we're called to live? Four. But what's crazy is, that's actually what describes the Pharisees from back in the first century. See, the Zealots were this sort of terrorist, almost like militaristic group who were trying to conform people through fear and violence. The Sadducees were lobbying and electing Christian, you know, sort of people into power and trying to sort of, you know, rub palms with those who were influential and in power so as to get more power and influence and prestige for Israel, for Judaism. The Essenes, they were... Some maybe suspect John the Baptist was in a scene. There were sort of these holy people who retreated into their own communities to avoid the world out into the desert. But the Pharisees were living in the world, but not of the world. That's what they were trying to do. Now, obviously, they weren't doing it perfectly, but I think it's really important for us to recognize this morning that we are most similar to the Pharisees, which is a bit surprising, right? Because who does Jesus slam the most in the Gospels? The Pharisees. Right, And thereby, when we're reading things that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, we need to take a step back and not be thinking like the Pharisees in the synagogue in Jesus' parable, thank God I'm nothing like that tax collector, thank God I'm nothing like that Pharisee. We have to be thinking, oh no, maybe, maybe there's something that Jesus has to say to me 
when he's speaking to these Pharisees in this passage. So, like Matthew 23, 13. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for making it too hard to enter the kingdom of heaven, for making it seem like it's impossible, for making it seem like you need to be better scrubbed up or speak more cleanly or do this or do that or, you know, fit this cookie-cutter mould that has just arbitrarily been set out. And that's not actually what Jesus is saying because when we judge others, that's exactly what we're doing, just like the Pharisees. We shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And we tell them they're not worthy to sit at the table with Jesus, not worthy because of the political party they vote for or the markings or piercings that they have on their body or, you know, their sexual orientation or their gender identity or all of these things telling them, hey, you can't even sit at the table of Jesus. You're not even worthy to taste and see how good the Lord is. You're not even worthy enough to start on the journey walking with Jesus and thereby we shut the door in their face. And, I mean, how are people ever supposed to enter the kingdom of God if we are judging and condemning them and playing a role that we're not supposed to play. We're not the judge. I'm, like, I'm sorry to tell you, like I, I kind of said in the pastor's desk, it feels really nice, you know, even on a smaller level sometimes, be like, oh, you know, like, thank God at least I'm not like them. You know, thank God at least I'm not like them. It kind of feels good. We can get a bit of a head rush from it. It can start to become a bit, you know. But the thing is, that there was a fifth sect. They were Christians, right? They were those crazy people who followed that prophet Jesus. And their job, their way of bringing the heaven to earth was to share the good news of Jesus. That's, that's all that they were called to do, to, to love and point people to Jesus, to love and point people to Jesus, to love and point people to Jesus. We all, or I'd say most of us, could probably paraphrase at least John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I challenge us all this morning that it could be a helpful exercise to read the next two verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. We're not here to condemn. We're here to love. That's the good news. That's the good news. The good news isn't, hey, you're going to hell, (laughs) right? It doesn't sound like great news to me. The good news is God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not to condemn but to save. I might just call the band back up as I, as I close. You might be thinking right now, why did Morris read that passage earlier? Murray hasn't mentioned it once. Well, I want to I go to the end of it right now. Because, see, the, these Pharisees, these religious people, maybe you and me, bring this adulterous woman to Jesus and go, hey, 
Let's condemn her. Let's stone her. Let's shut the kingdom of heaven closed in her face. But Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground at this. Those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until now only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her woman, where are they? Where are all those Pharisees? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. He says, then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declares, go now and leave your life of sin. See, we need to be loving people and pointing them towards Jesus. And he's the one who's going to minister. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to change people's lives. Us convincing people that by their fleshly strength to move out of the parts of their lives that they're in at the moment, that's not going to work when we try and do it by our own strength. But when we don't point people towards us as the judge, but we point people to Jesus as the judge, then they can rely on Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit to help them get through whatever they're currently struggling with. So I've got a question to leave you with this morning. How could God's kingdom grow if you stopped judging and started loving? Start loving unconditionally. Start loving without scrutiny. Started loving even the sinner and the tax collector. Started loving those who you would think are so far gone. And yet somehow the grace of Jesus can still cover them. Let us pray. God, I, I, I want to thank you for your love, your unconditional love, that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. God, I thank you that you came to this world not to condemn but to save to free people, not to shackle them with guilt and shame and exclusion. Lord, I just want to pray over the vine of the center today, the entire vine, all of us connected. And Lord, I just pray for any branches of expectation which are unhealthy, which are bearing toxic fruit of judgment, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just help us to prune them, to cut them off right now in Jesus' name. Lord, may we be more full of love. May love cover a multitude of sins. And Lord, I want to create an opportunity for everyone here this morning to, just with you now, repent. For somebody in their lives, in their circle, who in some way maybe they've shut the door of heaven on. And Lord, right now, as we have our eyes closed, I just want them to imagine opening that door back up again and saying to that person, hey, welcome in, welcome to the table. Come eat with us, come eat with Jesus. You are loved unconditionally, come as you are. All have sinned and fallen short. Be with us this morning, God. Continue 
to mold us into a closer likeness of Jesus. And God, I pray that if there's anybody this morning who who has been shackled by, by judgment, by guilt, by exclusion from your people, that, that the Lord, they would know how loved they are this morning. And they would know that the first step to following you is to understand how much you love them. Prune those branches, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.